Hello, and welcome to the Medical Humanities Podcast, the official podcast of BMJ's Medical Humanities Journal. We invite you to listen in and join the conversation from global perspectives on health, medicine, and accessibility to interviews with social justice activists, filmmakers, artists, and academics from around the world. Stay up to date with public discussions that matter to medicine and humanities because life happens at the intersections. Hello, and welcome back to the Medical Humanities Podcast. I'm Brandi Skilache, Editor-in-Chief, and today we are speaking with Dr. Oni Blackstock. Dr. Blackstock might almost be said to need no introduction. She's been a recognized thought leader and influencer in areas of HIV and health equity for many years. She's also a primary care and HIV physician and an intersectional equity advocate with expertise in racial, gender, and LGBTQ equity. Oni, thank you for joining us once again. Thanks, Brandy, for having me on again. It's always wonderful to talk to you. And today, we're uh, we're having a sort of nice moment in time in the sense that this podcast is happening kind of between Black History Month and Women's History Month. And I we, we did feature you, actually, during our Black History Month campaign for all the work that you have done, particularly in social justice. And so today, I wanted to, in part, ask a bit more about how your work has progressed since we spoke to you last, and also talk to you a little bit about the things that influenced you uh, to make you the person you are today and all the wonderful things that you do. Well, thanks so much, uh, again, for having me on and for recognizing me during um, Black History Month. And I think when we last spoke, it was either late spring or maybe early summer. Um, But I was, I think at the time I was still at the New York City Health Department where I led the Bureau of HIV. Um, And at that time, you know, we were, you know, had pivoted a lot of our services to um, virtual and, and telehealth. And we're just trying to figure out how to grapple with, you know, ensuring that the agencies that we fund were able to continue to provide services to New Yorkers living with HIV and those at risk in the middle of the pandemic. Um, Since then, I actually have left the New York City Health Department and have launched um, my own health equity consulting uh, practice called Health Justice, Mm -hmm. uh, which has a focus on supporting um, you know, healthcare, public health, and other organizations in uh, centering anti-racism and equity in their in the workplace culture, and also with a focus on reducing um, health inequities in the communities that they serve. Um, so I've transitioned to, to that new role. So I'm getting um, that all started and getting my feet wet, and it's been really busy. And then I've also, um, you know, been doing a lot of education and outreach um, here in New York City around um, COVID-19. And right now, obviously, with the rollouts happening globally, have been really working to answer a lot of questions and address concerns um, that community members have around um, the COVID-19 vaccine. Exactly. That That's wonderful. And I, I did know that you had started the consulting firm. I did take a look at it myself. Um, that's really a kind of exciting thing because it means that it expands your reach, doesn't it? Sort of beyond just New York, but into the sort of the wider world. Definitely. So, you know, I 
have always, and we can talk about this a little later, you know, my um, background, the way I was raised is always very much rooted in um, in social justice. And I think so much of my work had um, maybe not explicitly addressed issues around social justice, but it was always sort of a part of my work. But when I was at the New York City Health Department, did a great deal of work um, advancing um, racial equity um, within my bureau. I created um, um, the first um, Bureau for Racial Equity and Social Justice Initiatives at the New York City Health Department and got really um, excited about that work and what could be done, um, worked with a number of different um, consultants like Race Forward and Brown Girl Recovery, which um, folks who are listening may not have heard of, but are really wonderful um, organizations doing work in the racial equity space and realized like, oh, great, I can actually, I really am passionate about this um, and really want to focus my energies more on this work. So decided to um, to found um, health justice and to be able to do this work again, like you're saying, that will allow me to have a greater reach. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And, and a, a reach that is really impacting because, of course, a lot of these communities are overlooked. And I think we, we spoke about this the last time our podcast has been rife with this issue that it's not as though COVID-19 has caused sudden health inequalities. It's Mm -hmm. that it's exposed health inequalities. It's made them even more visible and more uh, more dangerous and harder to address, but also push things into the spotlight in new ways. And so I think um, it's a critical time for us to to raise the profile of these issues and say, look, these are are systemic problems that need to be addressed. Um, I wanted to ask you uh, about that that question of of upbringing and history and for me i know that i myself was deeply influenced by childhood experiences and that's why i work in the sectors that i do and you've you've said a bit about this different times online i wonder can you tell me a bit about how your own experiences as a child particularly uh with your mother um have influenced you into the the sort of choices that you've made sure yes yeah. so you know, I was, um, you know, raised by, um, so Dale Blackstock is my mother. Um, she actually passed away when my sister, my twin sister and I were in college, but my mother was, you know, born in Brooklyn. She was raised by a single mother along with her five other siblings. She was raised on what we call, you know, welfare or public assistance and, you know, really had a very, um, challenging upbringing. Um, but my grandmother, you know, really prioritized education and, um, my mom was able to, um, you know, make her way to college, to one of our city colleges here, called Brooklyn College, where she was under the mentorship of, um, a sort of a chemistry professor who was mentoring a lot of, um, black students and really encouraged her to, to apply to medical school, something that she wasn't considering and didn't think that she was, you know, capable of like getting into. Um, and so my mom went from Brooklyn college to Harvard medical school. It was like a huge culture shock for her. Um, yeah, and, and that ex- experience was very challenging for her. She said it, she felt like a fish out of water. Um, but it was really important for her to return back to Brooklyn. And it was there that she spent most of her career at Kings County Hospital, which is one of our um, county hospitals in Brooklyn, um, as well as um, SUNY Downstate, which is one of our state hospitals. But just to say that, you know, my mother practiced as a nephrologist or um, a kidney specialist. Um, so 
she did a great deal of outreach around, for instance, high blood pressure or hypertension, mm-hmm. because that's a leading cause of kidney disease in the Black community. And so I saw, you know, my mother, um, you know, at community health fairs, um, you know, giving talks, engaging with community members, with neighbors, you know, around issues um, of health in the Black community. And so it was really um, allowed me to see the ways in which she married a medicine to advocacy and, and to service. And I think also, you know, but both my parents, my mother and my father, my father um, immigrated um, from Jamaica when he was in his teens and my parents met in college. Um, but my, my parents, for both, both of them, um, you know, social justice was very important. And so, you know, just starting at a very early age, we were often, my sister and I, accompanied my parents to, um, you know, anti-apartheid demonstrations and um, anti-police brutality demonstrations in, in New York City. Um, and so, you know, for us, that was always very central to the to what mm-hmm. the work that my sister and I did. And I think getting into medicine and healthcare, you know, it is um, a helping profession. Um, and so I always very much gravitated towards um, programs and work that it would allow me to not just um, provide healthcare, but really understand the social context in which my patients were were living and making decisions, sort of about about their health. Um, and so much of that was really informed by um, my upbringing um, and and really, you know, even going to the hospital with my mother. You know, while she worked, my sister and I would often go after school and watch her and watch her interaction with her colleagues and patients. And that inspired me. And I know it inspired my sister both to to go um, into medicine as a profession. That's wonderful. And, you know, you say something and it just occurred to me to ask this question. You're talking about how medicine is a helping profession, but it sounds to me also that resistance is quite important to the way that you conceive of social justice, because I do think that sometimes uh, I've encountered this, too, Many people say, oh, yes, we want to help. We want to make social justice. Mm -hmm. And yet the minute you protest something that is wrong, you have this kind of backlash. Like, oh, that's not what I meant by helping. But but in fact, to address inequality, you can't just look at like, oh, positive things. You have to really address those negative things and protest and push back and resist. And I wonder how has that um, how do you how do you integrate that into the the sort of roles that you take? Right. Yeah, I think I think in some ways that has been somewhat the challenge. And I think that's what actually spurred me to um, go in this path of um, having my own health equity practice. Because, you know, I think within at least healthcare here in the United States, you know, what happens that we often come up against the fact that is a for-profit system um, that doesn't always prioritize really the health of, of, of community, particularly those that are, are the most vulnerable. Um, for me, I've tried to, for instance, with my training, I, I did my residency at um, Montefiore Medical Center in the Bronx, which was actually very hard hit um, during the first wave of the COVID-19 pandemic um, here in New York City. Um, and that hospital has a primary care and social medicine program. Um, and so that was one of the few programs, I think, in the, in the country that really centered social justice in um, our medical training. But that was like a little bubble. And so when you yeah. like sort of leave that program and you're, you know, working, you know, at a, at, at a clinic or a, a hospital, um, you know, many hospitals say that they are nonprofit, but, you know, they operate as for profits. You kind of see that um, that, you know, you, as you 
I went in sort of with, you know, these rose colored glasses, but you see, start seeing sort of what the priorities of the system are and how you come up um, against those. So for instance, being able to take care of patients who are on Medicaid or who are uninsured, mm-hmm. um, you know, you know, there are certain hospitals and healthcare systems that don't provide care to people who are uninsured or people who are on um, Medicaid, um, you know, for insurance. So um, I think those constraints um, are what made me finally decide um, in part to really work with how do I work and support organizations to do better in terms of um, centering these priorities. Exactly. Um, And of course, this is a race and gender and and sexuality and these things all intertwine both in your work and also in the very systemic problems that we're talking about. Um, So often you look at the numbers alone, you know, the mortality rates among black women are so incredibly high. It's particularly maternal maternal uh, mortality rates, which is something that's an area uh, that I research. But um, that you have people still willing to say, well, no, no, it's not really related to race or gender or sexuality. And when it's very clearly by the numbers, it is. There are ways in which those communities are constantly being um, carved out, you know, of, of these systems are being left out or still on the fringes. And that's not including the kinds of, uh, injustices that people like yourself, that any woman or black woman or minority or trans person in medicine as a doctor is going to experience as well. And so, um, you know, how do you, how do you stay sane in the middle of all of that? How do you balance these things? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting because I think when we think of, I think medicine in particular, it's incredibly hierarchical and, you know, and white supremacy culture is really embedded in it. Um, and so it, it can be, I think, really challenging for um, many of us who hold, um, you know, one or more marginalized identities to really, um, you know, do well and excel and, you know, try to, you know, do our best in terms of mm-hmm. um, meeting the needs of the communities that we serve. So, I mean, I think, you know, we do see and in on Twitter, you may have seen this, you know, there are, you know, there's been an exodus of, um, I think, Black people, in particular Black women from academia, because mm-hmm. it can be a really inhospitable environment. Um, you know, we know that most healthcare in the United States is not provided in the context of academic institutions. Um, but we do know that, you know, so much um, knowledge um, is generated in academic medical centers. Um, and so what happens is when you people are pushed out, you're really sort of losing all of these, you know, rich experiences and narratives um, that can, you know, and potential cures um, that could potentially happen if people were, you know, um, felt um, like they were part of, of something and weren't being pushed out. So I think medicine and healthcare is is at a disadvantage because um, so many, I think, people with marginalized identities don't feel at home in medicine. And so mm-hmm. I think, again, that's why the work that I want to do with health justice is really about, you know, how do we create um sort of anti-oppressive and equitable um, environments within public health, within healthcare, so that, you know, we have folks who are able to bring their unique perspectives um, to the table and have that be heard and valued um, and centered. So just to say that it can be really super challenging. And I think people like myself um, who hold like multiple marginalized identities, you know, are, are talking um, with our feet. Yeah. And so um, we are trying to find and create opportunities for ourselves where we can 
take care of ourselves, um, stay sane, but also do um, the work that we find most meaningful. I love this concept of anti-oppressive, anti-oppressive, because I do think, again, and I'm, I'm coming from the perspective of someone who has left academia proper, but runs an academic journal. Um, <laughs> and, and so I'm a, a little bit in between worlds as well. But I find so many people, they, they like the comfort of thinking, yes, we'll just talk about equity, equity, equity. And they don't always want to face the fact that you have to root out the injustices. So being anti-oppressive is actually really powerful. It's, it's, a, it's a way of naming the problem in the course of building a solution. And I think that that's a really wonderful strategy um, that is not often embraced because mm-hmm. people, people, they don't like things that are spiky, you know. Um, but here at the MH Podcast, we seem to be all about spiky. So, yeah. um, <laughs> so that this is really wonderful to hear of the things that you're you're doing. And um, we're going to wrap up our time today. I wanted to let our listeners know that we will have a transcript available on the blog, along with uh, some additional links to things that we spoke about during the podcast today. Oni, is there anything you would like to leave our listeners with before we sign off? Yes. Well, thank you again for having me on. And I think what I would leave your listeners with is that, you know, I think people have often said that this pandemic actually represents an opportunity to do things differently. And so, um, and to disrupt uh, the status quo and what got us into the situation um, to, to begin with. So I would just you know, urge your listeners um, to really think about what they can do in their own lives to um, really root out racism to advance um, equity and justice. And there aren't like, it doesn't have to be like a big thing, but I would just encourage um, your listeners to think about how um, they can also contribute to really changing um, the way that the world is currently operating. That's wonderful. And as always to all of you listening and to everyone who takes part in medical humanities, thank you for being part of the conversation. Thank you for listening to the Medical Humanities Podcast. Since 2020, transcripts are available for all shows on our blog. Stay in touch by reading the journal and blog online. Just follow the links in the episode description. We are also on Twitter as medhums underscore BMJ.